0: nightcaps of the living dead
1: do you want to be buried in a pet cemetery
0: <laughs> dr g it's time
1: it's time for another stephen king adaptation Ooh, you
0: know i love those
1: So this time we're covering the wonderful 1989 adaptation of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, Mm -hmm. And this is a unique one in his filmography because it's the first time that Stephen King has adapted his own work. He is the screenwriter of this movie and he was heavily involved in its production. And contrary to popular belief, this does not happen very often. Um, Stephen King had already written original screenplays for Creepshow and Maximum Overdrive, which he also directed—the only film he ever directed. Um, he
0: has a thing for trucks, huh?
1: Yes, he has a fear of trucks, the same way that I have a fear of buses. <laughs> They're evil, those motherfuckers. So the only other major adaptation that he did after this was the mini-series for The Stand in the '90s, which he also wrote. And other than those two. The only writing he's done has mostly been original stuff, like what? Sleepwalkers or Storm of the Century or Rose. These are all original. They're not based on novels or short Right, stories. but what
0: about the 80s miniseries event for It? That he one... did not
1: write that. And so he feels very protective of this particular novel. He wouldn't let anyone touch it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is his most personal movie. In fact, he has said this is the only novel that he's written or the only work that he's written that has genuinely scared him. Oh. Yes. Wow. So that's why he felt it had to be done in a certain way and he was so protective. So, and just to throw in some factoids, in his contract for the movie, he said that the screenplay had to be followed to a T. There could be no digressions and that he had to be shot in Maine near his house.
0: I had no idea he was so heavily involved. I mean, the story itself on this rewatch deals with very specific and personal family relationships. And a lot of Stephen King um, has the themes of uh, abusive fathers, of uh, the shed. There's always something to go on in the mm-hmm. shed. Um, every little girl is psychic. <laughs> if you're a child, you have ESP in Stephen King novels. But something I really do appreciate about King's universe is that um, you don't spend too much time thinking about logistics or why things are you see these people and the and the terms and you accept them and you just go what happens next and you start becoming gripped in it and um
1: so that's one that's the main thing that attracted mary lambert to directing this it was the idea that you could create your own logic Hmm. and that there's elements of the supernatural that we just accept as being part of the real world yeah And, and it's in the novel and i think it's more more true to what most of Stephen King novels feel like where like people live with their traumas and their psychological problems and ghosts and dead people and these logics that wouldn't exist in the real world that just you just kind of accept as being there mm-hmm. and i think that the coexistence between the supernatural and the and the real in this movie is done very well through the filmmaking
0: Yes, I do agree. This rewatch, I thought a lot of things were masterfully done. And then a few things I went, okay. Well, some things are very 80s. Some things are very 80s. Some things are very campy. I, I had a reassessment of a few characters and some of the actors in this. And some reviews that I read online of people seeing this for the first time they're like, oh, yeah, you know, very cool 80s movie. It goes off the rails in the third act. What the hell is this? You know, but that third act is what imprinted my brain as a child. I went, ooh,
1: it's I'm gonna so genius. stay
0: away from little fuckers and overalls is what I'm going to do. Do you remember the novel or do you remember the book? Yes.
1: So this book, it was one of the most jarring for me to read. I've read most of Stephen King books, especially the earlier ones. And especially I read them around when I was like 14, 15. And I remember that the writing style of this book was quite different from what, how, the way Stephen King was so. writing before. There was an attention to detail and realism. Mm. It was a fast, it was a shorter book. Mm-hmm. It was quicker paced in terms, and I think the movie also feels...
0: Yeah, even in the first three minutes of the movie, I remarked, wow, we have, a, a char- we have the foreshadowing of the truck barreling down the road. We have the introduction of the family. And then we even have a fake out of the little girl swinging and she hurts herself
1: in that regard it's, it feels like it's a novel that he wrote really quickly but it was really painful to write um there's a story that says he wrote it and then he hated it and he threw it in the trash and his wife pulls it out and says this is the most fucked up thing you've ever written i, I could almost divorce you Carrie. yes but she did it again with this she's one he's already trash <laughs> he, she's already famous he's already a big time horror novelist at this point right this is uh well he wrote it in 1979 and it didn't get published until the first draft. It didn't get published until 83.
0: Oh, so he was over it.
1: So he just felt like it was too much, too dark. Oh. This and The Shining are so close to home for him. And he has, this is why he hates the Kubrick. He actually, I lied, he also wrote the remake of The Shining oh, with in the, the 90s. Oh, with Stephen Webber. With Stephen Webber, yes. Yeah. Um, because he hated the Kubrick one so much he wanted to do it his own way. Here's the thing. Because both novels are actually based on actual events experienced by Stephen King himself. These are the novels that are most autobiographical. Of course, Stephen King has famously, he talks about that he was an alcoholic and a drug addict. Yeah,
0: was he fueled on drugs with this? Was he coked out when he wrote this? Or was he sober?
1: I think he was still on drugs during this one. It's It. The first no- sober novel that he wrote was It, which came after this. Oh, wow. Like, right a little bit after this. So so this is the most autobiographical Stephen King novel of all times because everything that happened in this movie actually happened to stephen king does he He have a demon cat well he was living in a house by a road where oil tanks oil trucks were driving really Mm -hmm. fast by his daughter's cat was killed in that road just like it happens in the movie there was a pet cemetery behind the house that they were living he buried the cat in the cemetery and he started thinking about what if the cat came back then his youngest son almost got hit by a truck i did read that um judd is based on a, on a neighbor of an elderly neighbor that actually lived across the street from where these trucks went by just as it is in the book and the movie um
0: hear and- me out citizens of maine put a fence in your yard seriously if you are living in with this beautiful property and these semis are barreling down the road at 60 miles per hour and you have young children or a pet a fence a fence would a fence, this yes. would be great uh, we have a khaki-clad yuppie family in a station wagon that pull up to the house. On the opening credits, they zoom in on small, crude tombstones. You know this isn't a human cemetery. Then we get the misspelled pet cemetery. Is that in the credits too?
1: Remember, it shows these voiceover of the children's voices, eulogizing their pets as they go through each grave, mm-hmm. and then you actually see what's written on them. So yes, and then this, I think that's when you first see the misspelling, and then you see the title card for the movie right. and then the movie. Which, begins. ironically,
0: for a movie about a pet cemetery. We're in the pet cemetery for half a scene yes <laughs> not a lot happens in the cemetery it's around the cemetery it's that's...
1: beyond the cemetery
0: so uh we open on those headstones and we see the khaki clad family it's the primo 80s yuppie sitch they're just white bread
1: <laughs> yeah and I, I had questions about Rachel and her shoulder pads and her whole like working girl outfits because she seems to ask away
0: because I have questions <gasps> too
1: because it's, that's supposed to represent you know the 80s feminists working doing it for girl. themselves power yeah. girl who has a job but she was kind of like a like raging a, bitch
0: no, but she was also like
1: Paris Hilton she was a rich the daughter of rich parents oh yes she was coddled yeah, so that she didn't work. I, does she have a profession? I, like, I was confused. Maybe she does in the book. I don't remember. But her I was character
0: like, was very uh, different from what I remembered. I thought, you know, whenever I saw... I was a little one. You, Yeah, you think of that. Like, 80s power girl. But th- this rewatching, she was just a bitch. And she didn't do anything. Yeah, and she had,
1: like, awful parents who hated him. He was a doctor. He was a doctor. Who doesn't love, doesn't well. everyone want their daughter to marry a rich doctor? Like, I don't understand why they hate him. There was like, I had a lot of questions yeah. about the problems there. The problems in this family. So
0: Mama Rachel, she was played by Denise Crosby. The only thing that I remember her from was uh, one of the Star Trek series. I think it was Star Trek Generation. Oh, yeah. She was like sexy yes. and she and Data had some some sex scenes going on. That's what I remember. That's
1: right. She was so, that is so she right. She was
0: spoken and hot in that. And I'm just, I, I did not realize it was the same person. I went back and watched this and went why are they doing this to her? They're putting her in the, and I wrote in my notes, the unsexiest shorts in the history of cinema, where they're (laughs) high watered beneath her boobs with a belt. And then they go to her knees. They're like a cartoon version of short pants. And then she has her shoulder pads on and they, they just did nothing for this girl to make her appear cute. Um, Ellie, uh, she was a good little actress, the girl who played Ellie, the daughter. Well, dinner.
1: it's not one actress, but two. Oh, were they
0: twins? Did they yes. friends it? So
1: this is a crazy. I know one of the crazy things about this movie, the studio wanted Gage to be played by twins because typically in movies, when you have a, a toddler, you need two, mm-hmm. especially because of the, the, the rules of having child under 17, yeah. can only work six hours a day, and you need like the studio teacher to be there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, Mary Lambert fought.
0: Something with those eyes Is his cheeks. He is just the I negative mean, imprint of Chucky. And it just yes! It stays Yes, I kept thinking head. Chucky.
1: He's, this is like a real life Chucky. Yeah. So she really fought the studio on this. Good for her. But then for Ellie, instead of Gage, she was actually played by twin actresses. But Blaise Berdahl was actually credited for the actual role. And then her sister, Bo Berdahl was credited as Ellie Creed 2. Oh. <laughs> Which I thought was so weird. When you go to the credits, you're like, wait, Ellie Creed 2? That's what led me down this rabbit hole of oh. realizing that they were twin sisters. I guess one of them was a better actress and oh. ended up, You, most of the footage was And with the other her. Ones,
0: you're a good stand-in, girl. Yeah. You're a stand-in for your twin. They
1: gave, her, they gave her a two for effort. Well, Mika Hughes went on to star... As Heather Langenkamp's son in West Craven's oh, the New Nightmare, I
0: know that. But then he bounced. <laughs>
1: then he bounced. Well, he actually just did like, <laughs> he did like a, three films. <laughs> he did like a short film. They did like a fan fiction sequel to the New Nightmare that just came out this year, and he, as an adult, plays the same role, which is kind of fun. Hmm. Um, but here's another crazy fucking thing: the makeup effects in this movie, which I think are amazing. They're superb. They're superb. It's actually one of the early works of David Leroy Anderson who went on to win several Academy Awards for makeup including The Nutty Professor and some other mm. like Weird Comedy in the 90 in the 90s. He is Mr. Heather Langenkamp. He's her husband. Oh, well,
0: full <laughs> circle. So he had his number from back in the day. He had his call sheet and went, let's go see what Cage is doing. We're going to get him back for new nightmare. Okay, so coming back. Coming back to uh, the first signs of danger. The daughter swinging from the tire. She falls. Cage also flirts with his first signs of danger in his little saggy diaper wandering towards the road. And that's, I mean, already it's kind of neglectful parenting, number one. I mean, I get it. You're enticed with the, the new house and you're... Your other child is hurt and she's wailing. But then Judd... Mm-hmm. Oh, Judd. So Fred Gwen plays Judd, who is the overall wearing, very authentic, even though it sounds hokey, main accent-speaking mm-hmm. neighbor that saves Gage as he's wandering into the road. He just scoops him up. Um, Judd's presence alone, he's probably 6'4". Just this very menacing kind of a body posture, a little Boo Radley feel from him. And... Yet, I feel comforted. I feel mm-hmm. comforted the second that he comes onto the screen. I know he's a good guy. And so as a child watching him, I thought that's how neighbors were supposed to be. They're going to look out for you. You're going to play in the park together. You're going to pop some beers on the, the patio and watch the trucks go by. But this rewatch. Oh, Judd. Judd. He was withholding information at every turn. And he just what a shows dick. up
1: at their house all the time. Oh,
0: no. No, <laughs> knock. I don't like drop-bys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so actually this rewatch and I, I found out that Mary Lambert saw him as the dark angel and the ghost of Victor Pascal is ah. supposed to be the, the the light angel so he's supposed to be the person who fucks everything up for them so I was wow. I never I never saw I saw what you saw the good neighbor the like he's helping them he's having beers together that
0: just blew my but mind he re- he's gonna be the dark the angel entire, while, while the jogger leads, is the light he leads wow. he
1: eggs um That makes so much
0: more sense now because I I was having a moment. I was stopping it and turning to Jack going, like, up the... (laughs) Like, what? You knew this? You knew this? He
1: provides the temptation. He's like the devil tempting Louis into like, oh, here's this pet cemetery. Can do this. He eggs him on to do these terrible things and then feels guilty about them. So he's really the darkest character in this story he is an instigator he is a <laughs>
0: troublemaker yes and as a child did not get that i thought he was a friendly face and can you please try your best main accent for judge saying uh sometimes dad is better
1: sometimes that is better
0: oh you did it well
1: <gasps> okay I, I practiced i practiced all right good job <laughs> uh i wrote this thing on my notes it's really funny um I called oh Louis and Herman Munster go on an epic hike he actually played Herman Munster that's him that's the actor what Fred Gwynn is the actor who played oh, Herman Munster in the why series oh that's so
0: bumbling and likable yes oh that's I was really sh- good I casting I forgot about
1: this I was like wait is he Herman and he actually is Herman Munster wow <laughs>
0: So whatever Judd is making the rounds and getting himself in with the family, they have a conversation about, oh, just happy as a clam. <laughs> and I died laughing. So and of
1: course, Ellie asked, are clams really happy? And I was like, that's me. I have questions <laughs> about this phrase. Okay, and is it really clams or clowns? I still they don't know. They are clams, but
0: oh my God, I just, yeah, I, I died when she's here with me. So, okay, Herman Munster and Daddy Doc go for an epic hike. Yes. Because they see a mysterious path along the property line. And this kind of got some some barbarian notes in my head like oh you, you bought a house but you didn't really do all the legwork. you didn't see
1: and it's all this like ike rich part of the property exactly. this epic hike that they go on
0: because i'm sure he saw the the deed and went oh no neighbors that sounds rad but then oh there's an indian burial ground just so you know what in, i mean how do you miss that the daddy doc herman monster slash judd and rachel and ellie all go for a little field trip to the pet cemetery. And they even point out that it's spelled wrong. And then we get Rachel getting a little overprotective mom vibes going, oh, yes, you know, it's cruel. These children were, were heartbroken when they buried their animals. And I think she's a little taken aback and disgusted with um, how casually um, Judd and Daddy Doc reference death, mm-hmm. which I thought was such an interesting... It
1: was the first trigger for her.
0: Yes, and also an interesting commentary on how at least American society views death. I talk about it very openly, and I feel like a lot of people still to this day, I mean... People are very afraid to say, oh, when I die. They still say, if I die. It's like, (laughs) well, I mean, the cars have been drawn. You're going to die. You just don't know when. People don't want to think about it. And they think it's a little bit morbid if you bring it into conversation. So she's kind of shutting them down
1: Mm -hmm.
0: with the whole circle of life death concept.
1: Um, or, or being overprotective for the children who were there whereas Ellie seems fearless about it Just oh like, Ellie well, has a problem. little <laughs> mouth on her and I love it
0: and then she starts asking about her cat about Church the cat which is a beautiful cat that little gray demon cat well,
1: did you know that <laughs> nine cats actually played Church which oh, is ironic did no, they each they have didn't a die. life no no oh, no what Lord. happened it was so difficult cat wrangling is so difficult This they did. they needed this cat to do so many different things that each separate cat had a different skill for a particular scene so they, they use nine different cats. Also, the eyes, when the eyes start glowing after he comes back from the dead, that is not a special effect. That is literally, they put a light on top of the camera and shine it straight into the cat's eyes. And because cat's eyes naturally reflect light back, that's what it looks like. Isn't that incredible? Whoa. So it's all real. Yeah.
0: So Judd shows where he buried his own dog, Spot, in 1924. Or he's kind of nudging her and like, hey, do you know what death is, little girl? It's kind of fucking awful. Now now that I see it with the dark angel eyes. And and she is a little bit in denial that her cat will die one day. She loves the cat, but she's very open to the information. And Judd says, do you know where you are? And he said, it's where the dead don't speak. Yes. And she kind of gasps.
1: And the mom feels really uncomfortable, you're right? Because then there's a later scene in the kitchen... Where uh, Ellie asks about like when he, when, is that when the cat is gonna die and then and, and the uh, Louis is like well I, and then the mom is like no 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 don't go there give give her yes. give her a promise he wants to he, she wants will you promise me that my cat won't die
0: she gets really pissed off and says well God can get his own cat leave my cat alone <laughs> fucker like she is so spicy I really like her and so then they have that weird moment where they kind of you see the parenting style is very different of. I'm a doctor. I deal with life and death every day. And let me tell you what I think. Versus Rachel, who has not come to her own She's kind of delusional a
1: little bit. I mean, of course, it all comes from the childhood trauma that we will get to later. Yeah, she
0: hasn't processed what's happened to her. Then, like, the next major scene is talking about Church getting his nuts cut off.
1: (laughs) Yes, with Missy, the other character, who is not a character that's in the book.
0: I had questions because from what I remembered, I wanted to ask you. I didn't look this up missy isn't she supposed to be judd's wife in in the the book book. yes she has cancer and she kills herself in the book
1: yes but this i believe happened before the it's a flashback it's before the events of the book so he talks about it he already lives alone so i think they combine two characters in the movie this is one of the changes it was stephen king's idea to have the suicide present in the actual present time instead of having Judd talk about his dead wife. Mm -hmm. So that's Judd's trauma with death. And that's why he eggs on. So they took that out, which I think takes a little bit away from his character. Yeah, because this Um, watch, I
0: totally won. I did not remember Missy. I'm like, who is this 1930s breadline girl? She is just... (laughs) straight from the from the Depression era and complaining about her stomach. And she hints that she's a spinster. You know, well, I'm not married. I'm just like a lot of information from this character that we're only going to get for two scenes.
1: So yeah, it was supposed to be just huh. Judd's backstory. Instead, they focus on the Timmy story that he tells. And again, all of these backstories are form the plot of the new prequel film, pet cemetery Bloodlines playing on paramount plus which none of us have seen but we will see at some point <laughs> i believe it covers the all of those interesting ideas. okay so daddy doc is going to be the doctor of a high school right mm-hmm. it's like the the in-resident doctor of a high school which is that a thing to- no
0: no
1: <laughs> it's one of those made-up 80s jobs <laughs> so anyway on day one someone gets hit by a truck Of course on the road in front of the school which is the same road in front of his house and the students bring in this guy named victor pascal half of his
0: brain is exposed and he's you you can tell he's a goner and um he's bleeding out (laughs) this poor this guy's like i'm here to talk to teenage girls about you know their cramps (laughs) this guy's bleeding out on him
1: and again this is where david leroy anderson mr heather Langenkamp, gets to show his expertise his wonderful makeup effects So realistic. And it's one of the things that really stuck with me over the years about this movie is the way this guy looks. We,
0: We have those makeup effects for the entire movie. We get this ghost with his purple skin and veins and contacts and the half brain bleeding out for the entire movie. And him acting so casually with this makeup had an imprint on me. And he is the first character, I will say this with absolute certainty, he is the first character from a horror movie that I had nightmares about, but yet I was not completely afraid of him. He would visit my dream. It wouldn't tell me shit. He wouldn't tell me psychic things like he did in the movie. But he would come to me in dreams, and and I knew not to be scared of him.
1: Which is interesting because that's the whole thing. That was what Mary Lambert wanted to convey. She wanted to see the person that's helping, that's a gentle presence, looks Mm -hmm. horrible. Looks horrific, right? And then the person that has the gentle face is doing, egging on the horrific events of this movie. And so that was the the light of the dark angel aspect.
0: Daddy Doc is having the worst first day ever. And he's trying to, doesn't really try to save him at this point. He's he's just kind of stunned. So Jogger reaches out and then he says between breaths as he's dying something about the soil.
1: Yes. He says the soil is sour. And we're and like that's the line that he repeats, the the, the first warning that he tells Lewis to heed.
0: But then he's just, he says Lewis in this line, and all he can think about is how did you know my name? i like, what about what what is this curse or this what what soil are, are you trying to tell me where you came from? As a doctor, I would try to think, oh, you're telling me something about your accident. <laughs> he is stuck on how do you how do you know me? I'm new here, and what? <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's a very derp to derp. Dotty doc. Is traumatized by his first day of work. <laughs> Not the walk in the park you thought it was going to be. I don't know. Um, And so he goes home. This is the first moment of grieving and loss that we get in this movie. You know, this is the primer okay. for the horrors to come. And so at night, he gets woken up by the ghost.
0: And he's pretty much like, okay, wake up. We're going to take another hike. You like hiking, I like jogging. We're buds.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so they go so the on a hike, nighttime night hike. hike. Night hike. Night <laughs> hike. This is hike number two in this movie. So he takes him to the pet cemetery and basically warns him against going beyond the pet yeah, cemetery. Yeah, he says,
0: this is the cemetery. See that scary shit over there? You see that shit with twigs and, and briar and thrill. that light? Don't go there. <laughs> see that? Just, just, just so we're clear. Don't go there. Okay?
1: <laughs> um, Daddy Doc wakes up thinking, oh, this was all a dream. It's not real. And then his feet are dirty.
0: Which I totally lifted for my movie. Ah. I didn't do it intentionally. Ah. It was a subconscious effect. This movie really had a profound effect on me. Yes. Oh my god, I'm
1: totally, I didn't even right? like, fucking get that. Oh shit.
0: Well, whenever I did the story beat she You have
1: a lot of pet cemetery in your room. I you do. Like, <gasps> I do. Mind blown. And also blown. On, on
0: acres of land.
1: Yes. Where we go for some hikes. And you have pets too, goats. Yes. Oh shit! Yeah.
0: Um, so no, I the reveal of the the dirty feet was definitely subconsciously and when that on is my wild. my makeup um, looks for Edgar. I put the jogger for That's Marianne. Right. Yeah. That's what he Was in your lookbook for <laughs> yes. the movie. This movie was definitely a formative
1: wow. flick for me. Um,
0: and also, I want to kind of point out his dirty feet go up to like his knees. <laughs> He's wading in the water. Is- <laughs>
1: Well here's the, I had a question at this scene. Because okay. then he kinda gathers that he doesn't want the wife to know that he was on a night excursion. Um and then he throws the laundry into this like thing. And I was like, how does the laundry work around here? Because we see little <laughs> Missy. So Missy does the laundry for them. They they have that's what she she brings their laundry to them and he throws the laundry into this what do you call those like a a trash chute yeah it's kind of like a a, building
0: like a dumb waiter but yeah it's a trash chute it's a laundry chute it goes
1: to the basement and then Missy goes to the basement and picks up yeah. The laundry? Yeah, Is that a it's kind of like,
0: yeah, it's kind of like a, because those main farmhouses are multi level and they were built way back in the day and they usually have cellars.
1: So did she kill herself in their basement? Yes. Oh. I mean, that's, that's where she's like...
0: sequestered to. She's doing all the work in the basement and the cellar. So
1: originally, in the original story, it's Judd's basement on mm, the other side okay, of the road. That makes okay, sense. okay, Okay, so okay. Yeah, so it so makes she... sense why they did the change. Okay. They want, like, they wanted to add another death or another horror yeah. before they get to the family. The main horror, event. So yes. Yeah. Okay. We're
0: doing some little deaths before we get to the big deaths. Um, So then Gage is in his little sweet corduroy overalls. Denise is nagging the next day. They're establishing this whole, uh, we're going to Thanksgiving. We're going to to (laughs) Chi-Town. We're going to Chicago and getting away from you uh, because my parents don't like you, Doctor.
1: Yeah, what the fuck? Right? Yeah. I was like, these parents are confusing to me.
0: <laughs> Chuck took the remote and paused. He went, wait a minute. He, he's not going just because they don't like him? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an easy out.
1: Um, Louis stays at home and meets up with Herman Munster, a.k.a. Judd. <laughs> And this is when they go on an epic motherfucking hike. They go beyond the Pet cemetery. Mary well, Lambert insisted, took the crew all over Maine, and it reminded me of our trip when we went to Maine, where we did all these different hikes, and different, we went to the island, what is it, Mystery Island, or whatever the fuck it was called, oh, near Bangor. I thought it was
0: Bainbridge Island? No, no, that's Washington. Fuck, I can't remember I think the name it's of it.
1: called Mystery Island, but I'm not sure. But anyway, we went on various adventures like what whitewater rafting. Yeah, Um, we went to Bangor, we went to the, we went to Portland, we went, we did all these different types of hikes. Portland,
0: Maine was pretty rad. So
1: there's a lot of terrain that you can be in in Maine. So Mary Lambert insisted to go to every single one of them. The (laughs)
0: terrain in Maine was gently on the The plane. plane. Um, Oh, and we should mention the reason why they go on this hike is because Church died. Church lived a good month, and then he got hit on Thanksgiving Day because dad's in effect. Dad's left home alone to his own devices, and the cat died. So they go to beyond the Pet cemetery on this epic journey. Uh,
1: And they, um, of course... Oh, oh,
0: wait, 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 wait. Also, I do want to mention... Judd had on a really fabulous fur-lined hood that he was, like, giving me Mariah Carey.
1: Yes. But then, you know where I went? I was like, hmm, this red hat is suspicious.
0: Whenever you you said that about Mary taking their crew on a, a scout, they just kept going and going in this movie. I thought they were going to cross over to Canada. Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm. there was
0: They went some places.
1: And actually, she had bulldozers create the actual um, Native American burial ground. It was, like... Oh wow! This was actually one of the most expensive parts of the production to actually build that from scratch. Wow! And what did they
0: do with it? Whenever it was done, did they just leave it up to I freak actually, out the next I people? Don't leave it there. <laughs> Woo! Uh, oh, and it's this point that Judd casually mentions that it's the burial ground. This yes. is when.
1: And they took out. So in the original novel, there's this whole backstory back about the Wendigo, which is a Native American. Um, demon where the, that this burial ground is all about and this is what connects the whole bringing back the dead in a different way and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So they decided to kind of be light on that. Mm. make it which i think is part of mary lambert's like let's keep this kind of magical realism through this thing where we believe in these things exist but also the the Kubrick shining adds that element of you know missing son and decor that this hotel is built on native american land this is not an aspect of the mm. novel mm. but it's an aspect of the movie and the visual design of the movie that's what generates all those conspiracy theories about the that the movie's representing the genocide of the Native Americans and the ghosts are coming back. None of this is in the novel, right. but it's in the movie. Yet in this story, Stephen King brings Native American elements into the foe.
0: Well, because, yeah. I mean, yeah, you take somebody's things and you slaughter them, you're going to get some uh, some bad juju.
1: And again, let's take a moment here to, to really give a shout out to the the sound design of this movie, mm. and the way it uses sound and camera movement. Like, I was very aware... Of how immersive, how aware you are of the trucks, of the sounds. Yeah, that's true. Of the way they use Gage's voice throughout the movie later on, where you hear him in the other room. Laughing and haunting
0: the home. Yes.
1: And typically, 80s movies are not like this. I guess this is more like attuned to what The Exorcist does with sound design, where there's less score and more like sound effect. It had a score that did its thing from time to time. Which is quite
0: ironic. Considering what music videos she directed. How you did not go into this all (laughs) the job. Okay, I was saving it for later. I was like, like, this is you, girl. This is is you. You talk about this. And (laughs) it took you until now, halfway through,
1: to discuss
0: Mary Lambert's videography.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Mary Lambert, this is her second feature film, but she is best known for having directed two of the most iconic Madonna videos of all times, Material Girl And the one and only video, the controversial epic masterpiece that is like a prayer.
0: (laughs) You drew that out. Yes. (laughs) We've reenacted this video so many times on camera and and bars in our living rooms.
1: (laughs) Yep. Life is no mystery to Mary Lambert.
0: All right. So they buried the cat. (laughs) They buried church. And uh, after a long day, they come home to the phone ringing. He like rushes to the phone. That brought me back. They don't have an answering service. Uh, yeah. He just or runs. <laughs> yeah. He goes to the phone on the cradle, the beige cradle, in that awful kitchen. Their whole house was a mess. Oh, I hated their house. Floral print sofas, the weird drapes. Everything's beige and like this muted, dead burgundy. It was a very depressing home. And then Judd, the trickster, in this rewatch. He's like, ah, you know, you know that thing we just did? We got to keep it secret.
1: Yeah, don't tell anyone. Don't tell your do- wife. Don't tell your daughter. Don't tell so
0: He mentions the soil of a man's heart is stonier. A man grows what he can and tends it. What the jogger said. <laughs> and Doc has this look of, well, I've heard that before. I mean, it's not every day somebody says something so poetic to you. Let alone twice <laughs> from two different people. So he says that we get another phone call.
1: It's Ellie calling in to check in about church, of course. She's um, like, are you
0: good, Dad? Yeah, 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 fine. Put the cat on the phone.
1: And it most, it's a very interesting show because it mostly focuses on Ellie. And in the background, you see Mama Rachel and the grandparents who hate him sitting in the living room. And then there's like this weird-ass painting of a child. And I went down the rabbit hole with this painting because oh, the painting really yes. captured my eye. We
0: had the same... We had the <gasps> same discovery because I did not get that the first You're like, time. Why is this here? Why and is this the second such a time? Thing? The painting is a major theme throughout the movie. Did not get that whenever I've seen it multiple times before.
1: So, this painting of an infant is basically um, a part of early American portraiture, and it's basically families in the. Seventeen hundreds, 1800s, when they had a childhood that which was very common of some sort of disease, since they couldn't have photos of that child, they would do a painting of the dead child and hang it in their living room to remember them by. And it's setting up and again, we're, we're talking about something that happens later on in the movie. When Gage dies, yeah. it cuts to the photographs of Gage. Those, they do
0: that Polaroid, the Polaroid montage. And then
1: he's sitting in the table with all those photos to remember him by. Okay,
0: I'm going to blow your mind because I'm not talking about that painting. <gasps> there is another painting that I paused and went, what the what?
1: Is it also at the parents' place? Yes. It's, it's these parents. The
0: parents. I They're mean, so no good. wonder Rachel's fucked up. <laughs> I mean, let alone the sister. I mean, these, these parents do not seem So good. I think...
1: Going back, I think that painting is meant to be a painting of Zelda. Because oh. that's the child who died. And we'll talk about Zelda when we get to wow. the same Wow. Yes.
0: Okay, so there are a lot of Easter eggs yes. with the paintings. Yes. Because, yeah. Okay, so you've discovered that one. I have another one. We're, we're going to get to it. So then Daddy's talking to little Ellie on the phone. And then Gage comes on. And he's adorable. His little little voice. He's like, hi, Daddy. Ba, 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 ba. He just starts talking to him. And the dad just stares off into space. I went, what the fuck? I mean, you're not talking to your child? Like, now I'm starting to see why the parents might not like him. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like a very absent, <laughs> not there kind of fellow. Um, and then it just kind of cuts. Um,
1: so what painting were you talking about?
0: I'm going to tell you later. Oh, shit. Okay, after there's another painting. Okay, okay, okay. What painting Moving are you on. Oh, okay. So, um, so after this awkward phone call, Doc goes to the garage. Church the demon cat is back and Church is not okay. He comes out like, mmm.
1: he scratches his face. I love that. Um,
0: <laughs> And he examines him. He's like, Is this the same cat? And he sees that the plastics in his fangs and he goes, Oh man, he, he chewed his way out. Which in my head, I would love a De Palma throwback. Just a little paw <laughs> coming out of the, the stones. Which they
1: do with Gage, though, later on. In <laughs> they the did, but I
0: wanted a paw. Come on, how cute <laughs> would that be? Just clawing out of there, shooting out of the grave.
1: So then, John and Daddy Doc, have a kind of heart-to-heart sit-down with beers. With
0: multiple beers. With
1: multiple. And I like that they're already on their second beer with the scene Oh, beers.
0: yeah. there's The place is littered with Yes,
1: they've, they've been through it. And so this is. You when can't you, have a
0: King movie without at least one alcoholic.
1: But this is when we get the flashback to Spot coming back to life. His dog from the spot past.
0: Spot came back. The damn Spot.
1: And it brings up the question, has anyone ever buried a person? Um, and then <laughs> they spill the beers when that question comes up. I love that the beers are a character in this scene for some reason. The beers are oh. the sound of the trucks in the background.
0: So yeah, and Jed's flashback about the dead dog who came back, he comes back as Cujo. He's just blood all over and, him and the ing, ing, like he's.
1: And yeah, and, and, and again this this novel has themes that connect to other novels. That one's to Cujo, and of course Ellie's psychic powers connect to the shining. Or or um, Carrie
0: or Firestarter uh, or Doctor Sleep <laughs> or- <laughs> <laughs> And also so yeah, so they bring up the question of like, Oh, have you buried a person? It's like the most obvious thing. If you're going to do this with a, like, a little critter here, or a critter there, of course somebody tried it with a human. This, this thing's been around for how many decades?
1: And then, so after this, Louis goes to take a what lies nice beneath bath at home. <laughs> little I'm hot at the top moment. Oh, yeah,
0: he's having a Calgon take me away <laughs> ordeal. And the cat just throws this dead rat into this, the, the tub, which yes. that could be a normal cat. Cats are assholes.
1: Then, oh, I thought it was interesting. So, again, I had a lot of questions about rachel's family and her status there were so many mysteries when they come back from their thanksgiving trip they come back on an eastern airlines remember that airline <gasps> rest oh, in peace
0: yes
1: <laughs> but it's yeah. also like it looks like an erica jane private plane i from had Vegas. that exact
0: same moment I went, <laughs> are you here on a private jet but you yeah. still cannot put a fence in front of that property by the road
1: so like but, well yeah so you got the it was a small plane it was a
0: small plane but this is what i got because since you and i have been to maine before i feel that you go into the main hub and then yes. they take you to one of those small little puddle jumpers that are Kind of terrifying, those little Buddy Holly planes, and they take you to a more regional airport because Maine is so mountainous. Which
1: is what happens at the climax of the movie when she's trying to get back. Oh, yeah, and the the she has time. her
0: whole. Uh, yes,
1: but I, I was like, oh, well, look at you coming out with your shoulder pass out of the Erica Jane plane. I, that too. I was like, it's expensive to be me. I don't know. So, um Ellen is psychic, Missy commits suicide. Uh. That was the most
0: happy announcement of a suicide I've ever heard. So Missy does this in a whole, I did it for you, Damien fashion. She is the babysitter. Her stomach pains are too much. And they didn't flesh out this character, but like you and I talked about, it was a replacement for another one. I see why Stephen King did it. I get it. But we actually didn't really need Missy. So this whole crux of the theme of the reason why they are burying church is because this little girl should not have to suffer death and pain so soon in her childhood but instead we get a human we get a loving babysitter figure so they go to this funeral
1: and gets who shows up at the f- maybe that's why he did this in the script Is because he was gonna have his own cameo as the priest <laughs> heralding over this funeral he
0: did a nice <laughs> job I I like seeing uh, 80s King, 70s and 80s King, where it's creep show or this. (laughs) Like, give me the full beard and his, his Coke bottle glasses. Those are so fun. So Judd is also kind of questioning his own mortality. You know, he's talking about his dead wife, and he's been around too long. He asks Daddy Doc, how's your cat? She's like, oh, well, Ellie's cat's fine. He's like, ha no, it's no, It's your cat, it's buddy. Your cat it's your cat. cat. You got this <laughs> demon beast now.
1: Rachel is triggered by the death of Missy. Um, while Lewis is so Rico Suave about it. He like talks like he's the cowboy from *Haul Drive*, like his tone of speed, he was like a you he know was what? doing some Lynch acting in this. I put I times. put
0: Keanu Reeves. Inflection, interesting, because he had this
1: well, monotone like hey.
0: Like he was trying to emote, but subtly. Yes. It just, but it, I don't know. He did not work for me in this rewatch. <laughs> Everybody else was fantastic, but this one, I went, huh? What a what an interesting casting choice.
1: And so now we finally get.
0: Oh, Oh! wait, wait, wait. No, no. To, to end this, this whole moment, um, <laughs> I laughed out loud so hard at this. This could have been a new Bev moment or a cemetery screening because the parents are getting squeamish about death and Ellie's asking about this stuff. Like, what What happens when we die? And then the dad goes, I think we go on. Yeah.
1: That's that's what that's what I that's oh what I wrote. Oh my that god! I
0: <laughs> died. That was some garbage day. Um,
1: <laughs> Silent daily night, night, part two. <laughs>
0: Stop. Okay. So okay. So then they sit in their slouchy socks. We get another flashback.
1: So we get the flashback, I think we get the, the, the first one, flashback
0: that has traumatized everybody of the '80s generation. I think if
1: you ask anyone who saw this movie as a child, this is the moment they remember. This and the later moment that they remember the most, and this is when we're introduced to
0: Zelda,
1: Zelda, oh. which is Rachel's thirteen-year-old sister who passed away from an ill, a weird-ass illness where she from
0: was like, meningitis. Is it meningitis? It looks like she was yes. Yeah, spinal meningitis but it looks like she had severe scoliosis in the mix and also that she was starving and a multitude of things she looked like a demon she was terrifying <laughs>
1: terrifying and so here's an interesting note um uh, Mary Lambert tried to cast this is a, tried to cast an actual 13 year old girl to play this role and was not convinced by anyone I was like well huh. what about The Exorcist and Linda Blair like she thought it, w- it wouldn't work so she ended up well, casting well I but remember
0: for The Exorcist they got um
1: Oh, Mercedes, who's the voice? The no, other
0: Elaine, Elaine Dietz, who I love.
1: But that. Elaine Dietz... there's three people. who There's Linda Elaine, Blair, uh-huh. and then is Elaine Dietz the one with the makeup? And yes, then but she was Mercedes, also a body double.
0: She did like the cross stuff.
1: Th- and then, because she was exactly, older, so she was the body double. Yeah. And then, but Mercedes, something was, it the, was voice the voice. Yes. In post production, right. okay. So I mean, maybe. Mary Lambert thought it's too complicated to try to read, but it was basically this was going to be like an Exorcist, Linda Blair. But they also Stephen cast Nova. a man too. They but went. She, she went with this guy named Andrew Huelsek.
0: I will be bold enough to say that he ranks up there at, with Tim Curry, Pennywise as part of haunting children's dreams. This yep. sequence.
1: Yep, it's fucking wild.
0: So we get a peek into Rachel's trauma. And this is when I went, ding, as an older person. This is not a grieving movie. This is a movie about grieving complicated relationships. You have to mourn the relationship before you can mourn the person. Something Mm -hmm. I didn't learn about until therapy. (laughs) Rachel, for her whole inheritance setup, they should just direct deposit into a counselor. (laughs) I mean, good God. So we get kind of this backstory of why maybe the parents and the doc don't get along. If it was a better actor i think or maybe if the character was yeah i'm just gonna say if it was a better actor i think we would have felt this way if he's protective and he's just like oh man your parents like really fucked you up you took care of zelda who was dying and then she died on your watch and your parents blame you and you feel guilty therefore i don't like them that that would have set up a little bit more
1: more sense but instead we get her revealing here her guilt and shame over her sister, over her death. sister, and
0: her kind of wanting her sister to, to die. die, and that complicated because feeling because it would
1: relieve her from the duties, the pain from what she was forced to endure by her parents. And
0: she was honest and saying, "I was grossed out by her." I mean, she was admitting all of these things. She's this is a very raw monologue, honestly. So even though Denise Crosby is a fantastic actress, she's not really shown to do much in this movie. But this monologue this is was a, pretty this is good.
1: A, this is a big moment, and so she delivers this line that I think was very interesting he says I was crying but I thought maybe I was laughing and this gave me a whole mm. Twin Peaks Donna vibes mm-hmm. about like mourning the complicated death of Laura Palmer and her yeah. relationship to her so I was like oh this is very very fascinating given that Louis Daddy Doc had his whole cowboy from Holland Drive moment a few scenes ago mm-hmm. so these two actors who are playing their parents they're like doing some pre-linch acting because at this point twin peaks had not yet come out it came out a year later mm-hmm. i wonder if it was on purpose that the parents seemed so emotionally detached at times and then they had these like
0: very guilt and moments, shame yeah. over over
1: things for their past
0: also another fun
1: moment oh Do- the Valium. yes Do- i laughed so i laughed so
0: hard, I laugh so hard. <laughs> He's just like, you know, she's she's having a moment and I'm going to go get you a volume. Oh, honey, I don't take that. Tonight you do. (laughs) I feel like you and I have had that exchange a few times. (laughs) So then we meet the serial killer trucker. We meet the trucker. Blasting Ramones.
1: Yes. Okay, so this is the beginning of one of the most traumatic sequences in horror film history. Agreed. And here's what I'm going to tell the story of when I first watched (gasps) this movie with my dad in Puerto Rico. We were in my room. Him and I just watching it alone. We're like really invested in the story. And when this sequence happened, my brother, so this is 1990, right? So I was 13. My brother was six years old. He was playing outside, and it was nighttime. We both, after the scene, we Your both run out. Paused. Yes, we paused the movie. We, we didn't even talk to each other. We ran outside, got my brother, and got him back into the house. And you're like, you're done playing for the night. <laughs> and then we went back to the movie. So here's where Mary Lambert is a masterful director. The entire Ooh. movie has been audiovisually building to this moment. To
0: this moment. From the
1: very beginning that you see that first shot of Checkoff's the underneath gun the truck. Is about and the checkup baby. <laughs> the checkup baby gun. Um it's a pressure cooker. The suspense is you knowing more than the characters. And you see all the elements coming together. And this is the worst thing you could ever possibly do so in a movie. So let's set
0: the idyllic scene. They are having a picnic. Yes. They're, They're all wearing their hats.
1: Shop, yeah. A Monet painting. They're
0: in a field eating their little finger sandwiches and drinking their wine. Also, I noticed there's a lake in the background. I'm like, bitches, you were eaten by the side of the road when there's a lake down there. You deserve this. <laughs>
1: Which they never go into. No.
0: And um, they're flying a kite, which mm-hmm. also, I'm like, have you have you flown a kite? It takes quite some effort to keep a kite up there for that long. So they're having an epic kite flying day, despite <laughs> this traffic blowing around. Cage is flying his kite. He has his little hands on the spool and just keeps going towards the road. Nobody notices. This, this family of, what, four? No, Chud, sitting the there. And I
1: think that it's because Ellie is, is saying something and they're paying attention to her, like giving her attention. And so talk about fucking stakes. Like <gasps> as this scene builds, the truck is coming. He's playing the Ramones. This is the first Ramones song. The second one is on at the at end the credits, credits, which yeah. we'll talk about later. And to me, this is a masterful exercise in suspense and then horror with that shoe. That shoe is a horror oh moment. Oh, my this scene. And the way they Let's shot, talk about that shot. Right before where yep. there's I don't know how they did this. It's because amazing. then they replay it later on in the movie. They do a, they show another shot from the sequence that they didn't use in the original sequence where it's like a close up engage and the truck is behind him. I'm like, how did they shoot this? Yeah. <laughs> I wanna know. <laughs> <laughs> this is some Hitchcock trickery birdie It's so
0: quick. You see his cute little face and his overalls and the big eyes looking up at the truck and the truck barrels at full speed towards him and then It does this quick cut, and then it goes over him, the truck. Like, it goes over the camera.
1: And you hear the sound. And
0: and then the little shoe. The the little shoe. shoe.
1: That shoe will live in infamy for the rest of horror cinema.
0: And then to what you uh, mentioned earlier, the Polaroids montage, which was yeah. very strong for so, you to decompress and process this.
1: So we get, we cut to, we had a, a, a white flash, a six feet under white flash into the Polaroids mm-hmm. of the family photos when the baby was born, when Gage was born and hanging out with him as a, t- as a little baby. And has
0: like a party and then he's in a sailor suit.
1: And so this scene right after where he's sitting with a pile of family photos and then like fucking Judge shows up because now he shows up every time unannounced.
0: Just, oh. <laughs> That's like a <laughs> nightmare neighbor. No, we don't need that. Like,
1: like, it's Three's Company. Um, <laughs> so it's a very calm scene with no score. And it's almost like that moment of shock where the characters don't know how to process or how to grieve. Mm-hmm. And so the girl comes in and it's like, oh, here's another photo of me and my brother. And it's like...
0: She's the most matter of fact about this. She's kind of got death on lock, which is the irony. Because they... Buried the fucking cat so she wouldn't have to deal with the complexities of death. And now her babysitter and her brother.
1: So here's another fun factoid about this sequence. So at the end of this scene, little Ellie runs off to the sofa and starts crying. So Mary Lambert has such a difficult time trying to get the actress, which I don't know which one of the twins it was, to cry. I'm going
0: to blame she- number two because she got that billing.
1: <laughs> Probably. They, they haven't revealed who is who in each scene. So what happened is she tried all these techniques of like trying to think of something sad that happened in your life. Nothing was working. This bitch would not cry. And then she bribed her and gave her money to cry and she did.
0: Oh. <laughs> but then she still did it off camera. She was off camera doing yes. this, yeah.
1: But she did it. She did it. According to the story, she did it.
0: Well, hey, maybe she's a uh, she's doing some sag negotiations before they were hot. Give me that money. <laughs> So uh, let's talk about this funeral. This funeral was also very uncomfortable. Funerals are never fun, but oh my God, what November rain. Father in law comes at him, punches Daddy Doc in the face, blames him for the death.
1: And then you see the fall of the company shield, a hint of the dead body, and you're like,
0: I I remember just being so shocked with that as a younger person, going, oh my God, they're going to show a dead child.
1: The sound design, the background. Noises of the reactions of the people present at the funeral I thought was very well done. Their horror Mm -hmm. at watching the fight made the scene even more unnerving. The other thing that I didn't realize about this is that this is a total Frankenstein story, the entire movie. Well, and now that you pointed out that
0: Herman Munster's in it, I mean, God.
1: (laughs) Um but the funeral reminded me of when frank victor frankenstein's brother dies at the hand of the creature and then they have that really gut wrenching funeral in the novel and the the movie adaptations too and so was like and the grief is all messed up huh and it's like that escalation of like you're trying to defy life and you keep pushing and your family's dying and i was like oh this is totally stephen king's frankenstein
0: wow okay
1: um In Frankenstein, he uses science to bring back the dead. Here is a Native American burial ground, which is related to America's guilt over the genocide of the Native Americans, which is related to Rachel's guilt Mm. and all the characters fucked up grieving of complicated relationships. So one of these complicated relationships is our relationship to our own history. Um, So after this gut-wrenching funeral hot mess, we get the iconic moment... (laughs) Where Judd, a.k.a. Herman Monster, <laughs> tells the story of um, little Timmy, from came back from World War II. Oh,
0: uh, okay. Judd, you've been holding out. He's kind of like, oh, hey, remember when I told you about my, my dead dog that came back all zombified? There was a person, and I know I should have mentioned this when you said, oh, what if another person was buried at the oh, Indian in fact, grounds? You no, know, he does
1: this twice, because doesn't he say... That this has never happened. And then he says he had done it with the dog. Yeah. And then he says, well, what about a person? It's like, oh, that has never happened. And then here he goes, well, hold my beer. (laughs) Literally. Let me tell you about when a person came. And I'm like, you knew all this fucking shit. He was
0: withholding so much information. And for me, daddy Dog should have been like, like, I'm going through something pretty hard. And all of this would have been useful to me yesterday.
1: So John confesses that a person has indeed been buried in a pet cemetery. (laughs) And this is uh timmy who came back from world war ii and died right yeah he died died oh
0: he just died in world war ii and he had a purple heart and his father was broken hearted yeah and they buried him there
1: and And they buried him and he came back wrong
0: yeah something was not right with him when he came back
1: and this is a very kind of i had a george romero night of the living dead vibe this entire flashback which in fact george romero was the original director of this movie Hmm. mary lambert ended up with the job for two reasons George Romero couldn't do it because the movie kept being pushed back and then Stephen King had met Mary Lambert and they both shared a love for the Ramones. So Mary Lambert brought on the Ramones and they wrote a song for the movie which is the end credit song. So just like just all of a sudden he shows guilt over his misinformation campaign over this whole ordeal and he says I introduce you to the power it's my father he cries. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. A little too late Sandoval.
0: Yeah (laughs) After saying sometimes, dad is better, like four times in this monologue, he wonders if the place caused Gage's death. And yes, and he has that lament. So Rachel's family, they take off to Chicago again. This is their place of refuge. Um, Ellie is having her carry visions of bad shit's going down. We shouldn't be going. Like, we got to stay with dad. Dad, again, stays behind. Mm-hmm. So this is when I got on the parent side a bit on this. I'm just like, man, all these bad things are happening. You're just kind of kicking it around the house. Also, he doesn't go to work once for the rest of the movie.
1: Yeah, he only went that uh, when the, Victor Pascal died. First day that was, was a bad day and he went, you know... <laughs> he's like, I'm on sabbatical.
0: Maybe I'm just going to start doing Botox for the people of I Maine, I don't know. Um,
1: yeah, and then, but doesn't he patch things up now that... The father-in-law apologizes for his behavior at the funeral. They kind of patched, bury the hatchet over their beef, whatever the hell it was about. Do you
0: think so? I think they're they're kind of taking a break. I think they're like, we're gonna take our daughter and granddaughter to Chicago, and you do you, and we'll meet up in a few days, and maybe let some things settle down.
1: But he's no, but he says in the voiceover, is there a voiceover? Like, there's a line in there that he says, "Oh, this, this at least maybe he tells John that this helped." His relationship with his parents. The death of Gage has brought them together. He says that to him at the table. That's what it is. Before they're at the the airport and all that stuff. Um, Then for some reason, I had a thought at this moment. I was like, oh, the last name of the family, Creed, kind of brings the idea of what do you believe in? The supernatural logic that the film establishes with this burial ground. Judd feels a certain way about it. He already knew everything that the cemetery does. And then here comes Daddy Doc. And he's like, he won't... See the facts in front of him. He continues to believe that he will be able to do this better. At this point, Ellie starts having visions, and he says, Paxcow, Paxcow. It's something about Paxcow. I love this scene.
0: Pascal or Pascal? We need no, to no, know. No, no, okay. So it's the, killing No, no, me. no. no, no. I... It's Pascal. Okay, so but say the that. girl oh.
1: mispronounces it as Paxcow. Oh. oh, really? That's what it is. Oh, can say which Paxcow. which
0: reflects Pet Cemetery being spelled Exactly. Okay.
1: And then the mom is like, "What the fuck is Paxcow? And then eventually she figures it out that it's Pascal. That's what. Leads her sort to of bolt back to Maine and, doing, and go on her like sprinting through the airports and catching. Oh, she has flights. such a
0: Catherine O'Hara, <laughs> Kevin moment. Like we forgot Kevin.
1: Yes. <laughs> um.
0: Um, and also just to bring up for Mr. Jogger there, I thought it was so cruel that when he died, daddy doc is going through his files and he just kind of chucks it in the trash can behind him. And that could be an homage to Stephen King's.
1: Oh, throwing the book throwing, in the trash, yeah, and, and then his it up, pulling it. it out and saying, "No, you're doing this, yeah." So chicken out now, Stevie.
0: He's gonna haunt you. So, um, so then the jogger is, he is visiting. He's being the light angel. He is coming to to Ellie and her dreams and, and
1: ushering Rachel through.
0: About to go on, her on a hungrier, On an the amazing airport. race journey, and even the mom calls Judd and and. Oh, no, this made me laugh. Even the mom was kind of wondering aloud, was just like, oh, well, that can he can't get into too much trouble on his own. And and his, her mom says, oh, you know how men are, honey? He's probably having a burger or a chicken dinner. <laughs> I love a chicken dinner. Yes, yeah, she says, <laughs> you
1: know how men are when they're alone? I totally wrote this down. And then they cut to John eating a spam sandwich, which I thought was hilarious.
0: Oh, yeah, in his little <laughs> sad man cave. Uh,
1: um, Daddy Dog goes on his third epic excursion and, beyond the Pets at Matai.
0: And the Jocker keeps visiting him too. He's doing double duty. He's like, yeah. the, the land is sour. What are you doing? You did not listen to me. I'm, I'm getting all these flight miles. I'm getting all these Delta Sky miles going back between <laughs> you and your wife telling you, don't do this. I'm telling you not to do it. I'm telling her to stop you. Um,
1: Louis goes grave digging for his son's grave oh. and takes a little little Cage's body, and you see a little bit of the hands. He's wrapping him up, and it's in the blanket. Aww. and It's just so cute, but also Terrifying. Chucky. Yeah, I
0: put it on Chucky. I was like, Chucky is eighty-eight, <laughs> that Cemetery is eighty-nine. Yeah, there were some little child in overalls really wreaking havoc yep. this time. Yep. So Rachel has this terror on a plane. She she took maybe one too many volume, so she starts having these dreams about. Zelda oh my god this this really stayed with me so she has this repulsion moment she's in her house of horrors and this is the other painting I'm telling you about she goes up the stairs and there's this this huge painting where Jack pointed it out he said oh my god that's kind of a sweet painting and I go huh and I pause it and it's of a little boy in a very tall top hat and a blue velvet suit
1: so yeah that's another dead kid
0: which is this what Cage is, wears at the end.
1: Exactly. So, for, so the, the first one I think is Zelda when yes. they're in the living room, and the second one is at the top of the stairs yes. or something. And I'm and like, oh, you, that
0: is pretty cool. And I'm like, and why? And you clearly are
1: you? know that even though she's in the plane, this is the same house. Oh, it's yeah. her same parents' house that they were in Chitown. Right. Um, and we. This is when you see her like siblings who are younger. Oh, right. Yeah,
0: they're a little scary.
1: And they're looking. These people have way too many children. <laughs> in my opinion, some of them are killed. <laughs> um so yes so it's foreshadowing so it's
0: foreshadowing gage's death because i remember all the other times as a child that i saw this when he comes across um at the end and a little cane and a top hat i'm like oh that that's an interesting cut i never pieced it together till i was older
1: wait so oh my god so are you getting it now too yeah so gage is dressing up as one of her dead siblings might be zelda might not be zelda oh this is fascinating Oh, he's an evil child.
0: This is where we have another Barbarian slash Night of the Living Dead slash Carrie moment. And you mentioned Romero earlier, which I thought was really interesting, that Zelda says, they're coming for you, Rachel, which is coming for you, Barbara, which we talked about in Barbarian. And then also has that same sing-song sentence of, they're all going to laugh at you, from Carrie.
1: So that was a merge together. It's like a merging of Night of the Living Dead and Carrie. Yes, Piper Laurie lives. R.I.P. But
0: not in the Pet cemetery. She is in a normal resting place. (laughs) We're not getting zombie Laurie anytime soon. So this, her house, and also Judd's house later, towards the end, kind of gave me Diet Hereditary right
1: yes the, and I think the looming movie, of the house
0: the dread the, the darkness
1: and um I think in the climax when she arrives I'm jumping ahead a little bit when Rachel arrives at Judd's house I made a note that this is some hereditary madness going on mm-hmm. in this movie mm-hmm. um, so Rachel's running through the airport for her connecting flight we've all been there Um <laughs> To take her Erica Jane smaller plane to the regional airport of Bangor, Maine or near Bangor, Maine. And then
0: she has her whole planes, trains, and automobile thing. She goes to like the, the car rental counter and and the jogger's kind of influencing uh, yeah, the cashier. Yeah, and was like,
1: Victor, the friendly ghost.
0: Can he be my travel agent? Exactly. Hello, I've had some mishaps. He like hooks her up. Yeah, he's like, she you doesn't got a car. She does miss her
1: flight. <laughs> she gets a car. Uh, meanwhile, Louis is on his night hike to bury Gage in the in, uh, in the native american burial ground
0: oh and then he has a vision which i didn't catch the first time this time he sees this weird effect of this oh yeah i rewinded screaming. that a couple of
1: times that i it was like this is a poltergeist moment it was so
0: random well, and
1: whose face was it i couldn't figure it out i
0: thought it was just a random face but who knows it could be a little bit deeper
1: i rewinded a couple of times and i couldn't figure it out so yeah I just,
0: He sees a weird vision at the cemetery and says, oh, it's just my imagination. Just laughs it off. No, look where you are. Read the space. This is not good.
1: And of course, he buries Gage. And we get Mama Rachel psycho driving through Maine. She has a flat tire. Then hops in with the enemy truck. Was oh, that the same guy who killed the kid, or not? Oh no! Oh my god, I mean, that would have been that too. That would have been <laughs> But you think thing, of that. You think of we that. We would have gotten Jodie moment.
0: Foster accused stuff there. We would have gotten like a revenge movie. No, I just thought it was weird that you know she's at a lobster shack and she hitches a ride with a truckster and.
1: Yes, and I thought, oh, lobster by the side of the road is the best in Maine. We've been there.
0: That's <laughs> very true. I do not love lobster, but in Maine, it's a five-dollar lobster side of the road, huge. Oh little adorable God. boys bring it to you. We won't even leave this in. No, <laughs> this is too much. Um,
1: no, but like those lobster shacks by the side of the road, they're a real thing in Maine. This is not, oh yeah. they exist. And it'll be the
0: best lobster you will ever yeah. eat. Exactly. And cheap. Oh my God, it's so good. Um, but yeah, I thought it would be odd that she would be so eager to hop into a truck. To hop into
1: the truck after this is like the enemy. Maybe it's so just really speak. showing she'll
0: do anything for her child.
1: Yeah. Hmm. I said, so it's interesting because I think she's running because she's realized slightly what what Lewis is about to do. So then Lewis buries Gage, and then it's after midnight, and we get thriller vibes <laughs> and Chucky's hand coming out of the rubble. Um, and I love the way they delay the reveal of zombie Gage. Like I you do see his too. little hand, you see his shadow in a room, and, and most
0: importantly, his little shoe prints.
1: Yes. It's masterfully done. And again, I think this has a lot of um, shared la- uh, cinematic language with Child's Play, mm-hmm. which came out a year before, you said, right? A year
0: before. Um, and then we hear Gage giggling too at a He, he hates the
1: giggling. They do a lot of sound design, feet, shadows. He goes to the medical back, pulls out the scalpel. Which Such did they a do Chucky that? sequence. Yeah.
0: Do they do that anymore? I mean, do doctors kind of truck Carry around a sc- with their own in a special small town?
1: I, I don't know yeah what are they gonna they're gonna scalpel you at home oh, like this doesn't make any sense <laughs> It's
0: interesting but, yeah but he knew where to go he got it
1: and of course i love the pacing of this entire sequence how this is built up it's i do so, too. so well i done. really
0: like it and this is where the reviews for people who were seeing it for the first time go wow this th- this third act went off the rails but i liked it i mean oh. it's crazy but i was there for it
1: oh and, and you know what miko hughes little actor miko hughes sells this thing Aww. like crazy little gauge cr- uh, goes across the road to Judd's house
0: and he's a sadistic little toddler who just wants to play hide and seek
1: and again you just hear his voice and of <laughs> course we, this movie has set up at the beginning whether you can kill a child in this movie right with mm-hmm. this whole truck Chekhov's baby gun thing oh not and only now, can you kill
0: a child you're gonna kill this child twice exactly
1: and I was like holy shit <laughs> this is doubling down
0: I love that Judd who we thought was a nice guy but of course on this rewatch we go mm-hmm Judd I know what you're about he says oh oh well, are you here Gage and I felt so bad for Judd I'm like oh my god Gage is gonna get him he's like oh do you want to play well I got something for you switchblade <laughs>
1: And I was like, fuck, is he going to kill him? I mean, I get, this is messed up.
0: We're going to have this six-foot-four man with the switchblade and this little demon two-foot child with a scalpel. I mean, it's going to be a fight for the ages. <laughs>
1: I'm down. But, of course, through all of this, we have not seen Zombie Cage yet.
0: Yep. We just hear the laughter. The
1: <laughs> We get the second or third most traumatic moment in this movie. Oh, yes. Which is oh. that scalpel that goes deep into that ankle. My dad and I, there's another moment where we paused and like grabbed our feet and we're like, what? Oh my God. I felt that in my booms. This
0: movie was a very bonding family (laughs) event for you. Well, my dad and
1: I, we we bring it up all the time. We're like, remember that? Oh, yeah. Remember, we saved your brother's (laughs) life
0: and we checked our feet.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) So, so uh, so also, so whenever Gage slices the Achilles heel of Judd, every time that I have a foot pain... Or if I hike too long I get a little strained, I think of this scene. <laughs> yes, and it yes me, <laughs> me I want to file a lawsuit. It has occupied too much space in my head. <laughs> Judd screams and falls back. Slices the corners of his mouth.
1: Yes. Horrible. bites his neck off. Like, yeah. oh my God. Totally
0: went for the throat.
1: <laughs> like the scupper through the ankle wasn't enough. No. This Evil is a, toddler from whew, a hell.
0: Toddler needs a snack. Um, Rachel has gotten out of the truck and she hears Gage laughing I think she starts going to her house and then she hears the laughter and then she crosses, yeah, and Judd's she goes house.
1: over and then I want to talk about Judd's house let's talk about it because you mentioned Harry Terry earlier and the houses but particularly in relation to um, racial trauma and the, her flashbacks to her house with Zelda mm-hmm. these sequences in Judd's house to me were very reminiscent of Psycho all of a sudden this house become like the house where everybody dies and so I thought, how interesting. They've reversed what happened, The deaths in Psycho. First. So you can equate Judd with the Detective Arbogast, who mm-hmm. gets killed by mother and thrown down the stairs and slashed. Right. So you see Arbogast die first, and then we have Marion, a.k.a. Rachel. She has the same look, walking into the house.
0: The house gave me creep show. It was completely oh, creep, show. creep show Oh,
1: because it has the moss.
0: It had the moss in that yeah. one scene so she goes in and kind of has a panic attack. I think that's, no, that's, oh, no, that's when Lewis that. goes in. So yeah, yeah so it, it reminded me of creep Show later because of Daddy Doc's kind of weird reaction to it. But at this moment, it reminded me of Creep Show just because it's that Stephen King universe where it is a very specific farmhouse and it is darkly lit with muted colors. So I didn't even go to Psycho. I just went to Creepshow.
1: But here's also where I got more Psycho. Of course, we have Mother Marion coming into the house. But also the idea that they use a lot of Gage's voice where you hear him, but you don't see him. And again, Mother's voice is such a huge character in the movie Psycho. And she's walking into this house and facing her trauma. We hear Zelda groaning. Goes upstairs and encounters Zelda in the room itself, and it's another fucking terrifying moment. Oh, yeah,
0: Zelda's crouching by the curtains, and...
1: uh, Does she say I never get out of bed again or something? Yes. Okay,
0: yeah. I
1: brought you something, mommy, and it's just like the trauma of her past and the trauma of her present kind of collide.
0: If we didn't already cement that supernatural things are happening in this movie, this could be played as a repulsion, psychological trauma moment. Yes,
1: Yeah. So, then... We have Lewis, right? Entering the House of Horrors. Oh, wait, no,
0: I have to talk about Lewis waking up. Lewis, after he took some of his own supply
1: (laughs) of value, value,
0: he woke up um, because he he thinks he hears Gage laughing. He almost, I mean, he just barrels into the nightstand next to him. I went back and rewatched it two or three times. It looked like he really hit his head hard on the corner of a nightstand. And then he looks and he sees a scalpel is missing. His bag is open and the tiny little... And then Gage footprints. calls
1: him, right? Or he calls Gage? How does that work? He gets a phone call and it's Gage. And he says, play with me. Yes. I want to so- play with
0: you.
1: I played with mommy and I, but I played with John. And now I want to play with you. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and it's also how he says, I want to play with you. It's so taunting. <laughs> <laughs> it's so creepy. Um, We had an awful good time.
1: He pulls out the syringe. Yeah, he pulls out the
0: syringe and he goes to, he uses church as a test lab animal.
1: Yeah, this is Thanksgiving day for cats.
0: Which I wrote (laughs) in my notes like, that was a stupid line. What is that supposed to mean? I have no idea. That was so dumb. He goes across the street to Judd's house and that's when we get his weird panic attack whatever he goes in or maybe it's you know the Native American spirit's fucking with him mm-hmm. it's completely creep show the mold of the stairs the mold of the
1: stairs okay now I see the creep show yeah. that you're talking about
0: so. and then this fog and then it becomes normal
1: and then it becomes normal so it's like a quick quick thing I yeah. think this is something that's in the novel more present and I think it's what attracts Guillermo del Toro to want to make this oh. there's all these elements of
0: he's like is there dry ice in it let me make this movie
1: yes there's always this elements of the corruption of wood and like he says he wanted to have Gage's character like have no sheen in the eyes so his eyes look dead so it has to do with like dead nature so there's a hint of this in the scene you get a a creep show moment and then we get a whole bunch of Halloween POV shots when he gets upstairs true and I thought, ooh, there's a little Michael Myers from the opening sequence type of thing Rachel's going on. And then Rachel shoe on the
0: stairs—a Cinderella moment.
1: Yeah, he's a male Laurie Strode that discovers all the dead bodies. Right, he finds Jod all mangled underneath oh, his bed, yeah. and then the craziest sequence ever when he—they set it up because the the stairs to the attic is broken. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And then of course, Mama pops down. The attic pops banging. down. Did you have
0: this attic? I had this attic. Growing
1: up, no, no, no. we didn't have our houses were cement. There were no addicts in Puerto Rico. Oh, okay, so this is the hereditary moment when because there's an attic in hereditary and the mother is dead up there, the dead body of the mom. That's when I got my hereditary connection. Ah. And so, um, mama comes down hanging, and I think this is why they had Missy kill herself to then to pay to kind of foreshadow this moment, right. And, and I did
0: have a second going, oh, I, I, just for a split second, I thought, oh, did this Indian spirit and this little toddler body string her up for effect? We don't actually see her die. They have a yeah, fight. They away, yeah. I wonder if she kills herself because she's not able to kill her child. That's just where I went in my own weird... Like, this trajectory. is, like, the end of everything. You
1: cannot yep. phase your own child trying to kill you and yep. being so evil. Like, she was fucked
0: like, up. And then she's like, nope, can't do it. I'd rather kill myself. And dressing up
1: as your dead sibling or right. whatever. And so the, the wonderful Miko Hughes in his final moments when he tries to kill the dad.
0: Gage torpedoes out of the attic. <laughs> this little yes. body flings himself at the doctor. And they kind of fight in the hallway. And he takes the syringe.
1: And... This is the moment that I think is the Oscar Academy Award winning moment for little Miko Hughes. His reaction when he starts crying and, like, in his moment of death. Is he manipulating that or is he becoming is his he, real self? Yeah,
0: is he really feeling the pain? Yeah, but
1: it's so difficult to watch. And we as and
0: a, a viewer, we're manipulated. We're going, oh my God, this cute kid <laughs> this cute is in so much pain.
1: And he's crying and how could you do this to a child?
0: And also the angle. I want to talk about that camera angle. It goes kind of to where and um, that upward motion of where, the sh- of where the syringe goes into his neck mm-hmm. and we see from a very odd view his reaction and how big his eyes are and him kind of twisting in pain. Is and then kind your, of
1: fall, like walking backwards, right? Yeah, it's,
0: it's a little poetic. It's, it's, it's a dance. I, I, that sounds so fucking way, weird but it's true. It's No, the way he stumbles and back
1: and then falls. Uh, this is one, another memorable traumatic moment for me is the way he stumbles his way back no and falls fear. against the little wall. No fear. And he says, no fear. And he, no get, he gives him a
0: scrunched up mean face, which is what I do to people all the time when I'm not <laughs> having it. I'm like, <laughs> like, I get you, Gage. I fucking feel that. And then he dies. He straight up dies again.
1: But now we get the epilogue of this movie where little fucking Rico Suave Daddy Dog has not learned his fucking oh lesson my. after the end time and decides to take the body of his dead wife to the pet Cemetery. Cemetery.
0: So he is exiting the house, has not learned from the three attempts before. And he he negotiates, which is what people do during grieving. They mm-hmm. negotiate. He negotiates. Oh, oh, she just died. That's the ticket.
1: Yeah. The I other bodies were expired. Yes. You know?
0: He trucks on down to the the burial ground.
1: Pasco tries one last time. He's like, Are him. you kidding
0: me with this guy? <laughs> and I'm the one who's dead.
1: So and again, and this mirrors the plot of Frankenstein where Victor Frankenstein decides to try one more time and create the Bride of Frankenstein or the Bride of the Creature mm-hmm. and turn his dead bride into a partner to the Creature.
0: This entire time, I'm just thinking, <laughs> he's probably digging the, the ditch going, oh, I hope you don't come back as a bitch this time.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, and then we get Judd in the voiceover, sometimes Dada's bottom. They
1: repeat it again, yes. Um, and
0: so then he just starts... Sitting in his kitchen in his bloody clothes, playing some solitaire, just waiting around.
1: I was his solitaire, or was his tarot cards. I was like,
0: oh no, they were cards, but they had, cards. A had a tarot surface. They were beautiful cards, yes. but yeah, well, that's an interesting observation. I get that. So then Rachel yes. comes home. She has an eyeball missing.
1: And she kind of, her makeup is reminiscent of Victor Pascal because she's missing yeah. half of her face. Yeah. Um, and of course they like fucking go at it making out. Oh, I'm I like, know. She's like, my hell?
0: darling. And this is this is how he gets his rocks off. Maybe this is why he's burying everybody. <laughs> I don't know. But so they make out. And then of course she brings out the knife and we get that she stabs him. Anyways, hard cut to.
1: <laughs> Did you want to be buried <laughs> in a pet? Cemetery.
0: A lot of people think that the Ramones did this as a cash grab, which it was not. Ironically enough, it was their um, highest charted hit in America. It was at number four for a very oh, long wow. time. I yeah, more okay. so than the other ones. Uh, Stephen King was a huge Ramones fan and he invited the Ramones to his house. He handed DD Dee Dee Ramone a copy of Pet Cemetery and, like, an hour later, Didi came back with these lyrics.
1: With this song, And they were
0: very on point, which I know he did not read the entire book in an hour. Maybe he did.
1: I don't know, but... Well, the book is not that long. It's not as short as like Shawshank Redemption and all that. But, um, you know, his fucking books are fucking...
0: I know. Sometimes... Big. I I love the lyric. He says, I don't want to live this life again. Like, that's the entire chorus. Yes. It's great. And so funny enough, when's the last time you went to Hollywood Forever Cemetery? Have you been there for a screening or a... Not
1: this year. Been there in a minute. <sighs> Fuck, I can't remember.
0: Didi Ramon is buried there. And Johnny, he is not buried there, but he has a statue there at Hollywood Forever. Have you seen it?
1: Oh, it's no. It's pretty cool.
0: People like put flowers around it. It's an impressive statue. And I was just kind of looking up some notes for this episode because I didn't want to bring up sad, dead animal facts. I mean, come on now. This this movie is already harrowing and traumatic. <laughs> I don't want to talk about dead pets. But I did see a funny thing that Toto from Wizard of Oz, Toto has a statue at Hollywood Forever uh-huh. Cemetery, and it's kind of close to Johnny Ramone's statue. And neither one of them are buried there. Johnny has his ashes interred somewhere. Dee Dee, I think, is buried there. And Toto is buried in Studio City, but then they built the Ventura Freeway over it. So there could be... Oh, shit. ...a haunting of a dog, a very upset, famous Watch movie star dog. Watch out for dog. those
1: buses on Ventura. It all Talk. ties together. <laughs> That's insane. I'm going to walk tread carefully the next time I go on an urban hike around my neighborhood. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, streamers and screamers. I have a complicated streamer slash screamer that... I kind of drank a glass of Haterade and didn't like anything I watched this week. And there's one that I want to ask you about. And it's pretty new, has stellar reviews, both from audience and critics. But again, it's new. You know how they start off like a little hot, everything's great. And it's called When Evil
1: Lurks. I have not seen this. Okay. So
0: I watched it and I feel weird for not liking it. I wanted to like it. So listeners, if you have Shudder please give this one a try because here's the thing. When evil lurks, the acting, phenomenal. The, uh, the way it's shot is beautiful, breathtaking. I got so bored with the script. And, and it was also very gory. So okay. maybe just because I'm not a gory, gory girl... But the same action just kept happening. But it, it has stellar reviews, and I feel very conflicted for not liking it. So I need you to watch it and for you okay, to
1: weigh it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. I just thought of something. This, and I saw a movie recently, and it's called Piggy, and it's by a female, awesome new female horror director from Spain, and it's about a girl who's. Heavy and she gets, you know, of course, bullied at school. And oh, all this I've stuff. heard of this. This movie is incredible, and it reminded me a little bit of Stephen King and Misery and the misery of it all. <laughs>
0: the misery of it all. Um,
1: and Annie Wilkes, and it's an unapologetically awesome movie about body shaming, don't told through a horror tale. And this girl gets her fucking revenge. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> She forms a relationship with a serial killer.
0: <gasps> oh, you know what? What? I did not mention this. G, you have your own pet cemetery story to tell, and I want you to confess your sins before we close out. Lolo.
1: <gasps> no, I cannot tell that. I cannot do that. Oh, shit.
0: Guys, I yeah, know something okay. about G.
1: So, <laughs> there was an ice storm in North Carolina. My brother asked me to go to. His house, he was on vacation in Puerto Rico to go check on my nephew's pet fish, Lolo. I went there. The house had frozen. The pipes had burst. The house was flooding. And the fish had died. So then he asked me to go to the pet store and buy a new Lolo 2.0 and replace a little old Lolo and put the new one so my nephew wouldn't know that Lolo had died. So I myself was a pet cemetery. Uh Uh (laughs) So this hat trick. And, and isn't my your brother a doctor of
0: some sort? I'm telling you, the parallels. <laughs>
1: I forgot about that. Oh, oh I God. didn't.
0: <laughs> um, has your nephew ever figured it out? I don't know. A fish is a fish, right?
1: Yeah, I don't know. And I don't know if Lolo's 2.0 is still alive.
0: You're going to have a demon fish haunting <sighs> your dreams tonight.
1: So, yes, I created a zombie fish for my nephew. Piranha <laughs> in the tank.
0: <laughs> All right, guys, that was Pet Cemetery. Spay and neuter your pets. Bye. Bye.